All right. So hey, everybody, who's remember, who remembers what series we are in currently? What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Perfect. I don't know if this is working. Yes, it worked. All right. So hey, everybody, I need everybody to listen up. Everybody in the back, everybody in the middle, everybody on the sides, and everyone in the front. I need everybody to, to listen up. So we have gone over the last two weeks, what is the gospel. And really what we had talked about was why is the gospel important? And when I'm talking, you guys need to listen and stuff. You and all of you guys. Cool. Good idea. Um, Perfect. So we'd gone over, man, why do we need the gospel? Why is it important that we have that? Like we talk about it all the time. I think how many of you have heard the word gospel before? Like that's something that I feel like we toss out in church and all the time, like it's, man, gospel, gospel, gospel. And so we think about, okay, well, what is the gospel? Like, and I wanted us to be able to walk through and see what the gospel actually is um, and even what the word gospel means. And so over the last two weeks, here, here's where we've been. Um, we have been, the first thing we talked about was creation, right? That God created us um, very good. He created everything on the earth good. Um, we had a relationship with him. We had a relationship with each other, with ourselves, um, and with creation that he had made. And all of that was really good until the fall, right? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree that they're not supposed to. They disobey God's commands. They try to be like God. And everything from that moment on is broken and like it's wrecked. Right? I told the story about my brother's bike. I wrecked it, and it was like beyond repair, and I felt really bad about it. It's horrible. I hit the front brake instead of the back brake. Don't ever do that. Um, so we talked about the fall, Genesis 3, and then we also talked about um, the promise. So some of the words that we used from Genesis 12 on, the, the main thing that we talked about was... Um, covenant versus contract and how God sets up these covenants with his people consistently all throughout the Old Testament where he's continuing to chase after them and continuing to try and say, I love you. I want, I want to make this covenant. I want to make things right with you so that we can get back to the way things were in the beginning. So I want you guys to hear that. The main point of of God seeking after his people, of seeking after the entire world, of seeking after creating Israel, the nation of his people, so that everyone else could be blessed. The whole reason that he's doing this is so that we can get back to the way that things were supposed to be in the beginning. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we don't really know, like, okay, well, why is God after all of these things? And the whole idea is that we would get back to the original plan that he had for us. And so here's kind of where he goes in um, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses uh, 33 through 34. We talked about this last week. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. So he's talking about, man, this is, this is what it's going to be like. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. All he wants is for us to get back to the way that things were, where we could live together and worship him, give him glory and like and and fulfill our purpose for why we were created, that we would know him and that we would worship and give him glory. 
34, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Like, and so that was the biggest thing that we had looked at, right? And we ended last week with, even after we consistently fail God, he is still consistent in his love for us. So we saw all throughout the Old Testament that God was continuing to seek after his people. Even though, man, it was like time after time, they just continued to, to screw up. Like he'd set up a new covenant and be like, all right, hey, you're going to follow me. You're going you're gonna to do this and everything's going be, gonna to be well and good. And then Israel or his people, like they would just continue to go off and do their own thing. Even after they were like, yeah, we got this. We can, I totally do this. And then they just totally failed. Like they just kept one thing after another. It's kind of like, um, how, many of you, uh, how many of you on average tell your parents that you're like, going to unload the dishwasher like 10 times before it actually gets done, right? I want to see some hand. I want to see some honesty here. Okay, there we go. There we go. It doesn't have to be dishwasher. It's like, I'm going to take out the trash, right? Like, I want to do that. And like three days go by and your mom's like, the trash is now overflowing and there's banana peels on the floor and there's a raccoon that moved into our house inside of underneath of the sink where we keep the trash can. Yeah, he's living in there now and he has a family, okay? Like, it's bad. You said you were going to do this, and it didn't happen. And like we could just continue over and over and over again to, to make these promises with God. We enter into these covenants throughout the Old Testament and say, we're going to get it right. We're going to do it. We're going to do it right. And, and we fail. So it's just this consistent pattern. But God is consistent in his pattern of seeking after his people, offering forgiveness, um, and loving them. And so here's the thing. Here's where we're going to start this morning. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and go to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verses 12 through 14. Just to start off. All right. So, So we say... A lot of times we look at scripture, we say, okay, yeah, so Adam sinned, so what? He's that one guy really, really long time ago, and I'm here now, and I feel pretty good about myself. Um, so I'm, I'm probably all right. But all throughout scripture, there continues to be these references to that, that there is no one who is good. There is no one who, who does good, who has a pure heart before God. Like, maybe we compare ourselves to each other and we're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, well, this other person did really bad stuff. And I have never done that. So I'm, I think I'm doing pretty good. And then there's somebody else next to you who's like, man, I've never done what that person did. And so I must be, I must be feeling all right. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I feel pretty good about myself. But over and over again in Scripture, um, we're reminded that through Adam, through the very first sin that happened, sin and death spread to all of us. And so through him, we, we all are cursed. We all are living in slavery to sin from the day that we're born. Like, how many of you have had a, a younger brother or sister, like, who's a toddler, like, two, three years old or whatever? Did you guys have to, like, teach them how to lie? Or did it just kind of come naturally to them? Nothing. Like, whenever you say, like, you walk into the room, and you set down a box of candy, and then the only other person in the house is a three-year-old, and you walk to the kitchen, and then you come back, and the box of candy is gone. Like, and so then you obviously look at the three-year-old, and you say, did you take my candy? 
And they'll look at you and they'll go, no. Well, who took it? I don't know. Well, there's nobody else here. So obviously it was you. Like, I, re- I know, like, I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen in my own family. Like, the little kids or whatever, like, you don't have to teach them to lie or to disobey. Like, they'll just do it on their own. Hey, don't touch that. No, 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 don't touch that. No, no, seriously, do not touch that. It's going to hurt if you touch it. Don't do it. Like, and it's just this constant, right? Like, it's just, I've told you, don't do that. And it's like, oh, this, you don't want me to do this? You want me to do this? And like, and then they'll just go like this. You don't want me to touch this? Is this what you don't want me to touch? This right here? This? This? And so that's, that's how it goes. Like, we know from the very beginning, we don't have to be taught how to sin. Like, that's just who we are. Romans 5, 12 through 14 talks about it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So basically, Paul, who's writing this here to the Romans, is is saying, through one man, through Adam, all have sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like, there is, there is nobody who's righteous. No one. We talked about that in main service today. Mike actually, um, Pastor Mike went through some different passages and walked us through that, which was really cool. Like, there is nobody here who is not under, like, under slavery to sin. Like, we are born with that. And I think that, here's the thing, I think that we feel it too. All right? Like, even if you've gone to church your whole life, there are things in your life or, or things that you enjoy that you know are not godly, are not good. They're not things that God would approve of, whether it's lying or stealing or, like, cheating on a test or um, doing something that you know you're not supposed to, whatever. Like, we know these things are things that we shouldn't do, and then we still go and we do them. And sometimes we're like, I know that I, I shouldn't do that, but I did it anyways. So what is going on in my brain? Like, what is happening to me? And so there are things that we know that we shouldn't do that we do. Paul actually goes on to write about that two chapters later. It's very confusing. It's like, I know that I shouldn't do the things that I should do, but I shouldn't do the things that I should, that I should, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, okay, well, Paul, slow down. Okay, you just need to just lay off the sugar and just, just chill, all right? So it is very confusing, but it's, it's just so well written because it is. It's like, I don't want to do this, but I do it. But I know I shouldn't. But I do it anyways, even though I shouldn't. Uh, like, yeah, it, it's just so, it's crazy. So we're all born under this, right? We're all born into this fallen state of humanity that the Bible talks about from the very beginning. That because of the fall, everything is broken, and we see it even in ourselves. Like, how many of you feel like you have a perfect, I don't want hands raised for this, you feel like you have a, a perfect relationship with everyone else around you? Probably nobody. How many of you feel like you have a perfect relationship with, with creation? And I know that's kind of a weird, a weird question, but like, where you can just look at the ground and be like, grow me fruit. Do it. Nothing. That's not happening. Um, relationship with, um, with yourself. 
I think a lot of us in here struggle with, you look in the mirror in the morning and you're like, I wish this was different. I wish I was taller. I wish this wasn't, I wish this didn't look this way. I wish this was different. And we see ourselves not as God's creation, but we see ourselves as something that is messy and broken and like, Sometimes we look in the mirror and, you, and your first response, whether you say it out loud or not, is like, uh, and that stinks. Like, I don't, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. And that's hard. And then at the same time, too, the fourth relationship is, is us and God. And I would clearly, I think it's pretty clear to each and every one of us in here that our relationship with God is not perfect. Things that we know that we should do, that we don't, that, and all of this. We know that there's stuff happening that is just messed up. We see it at our schools. We see it when people are bullied. We see it when we feel like we're being picked on. We see it when we're the ones picking on other people because we're getting picked on by someone else. And so since they're doing that to us, we feel like we can do it to this other person. And, it, and we just spiral down together. And everything is broken and messed up. And so we've left it the last two weeks of like, okay, I get it, Adam. I get it. I'm a sinner. We're screwed up. Everything is broken. So what do we do now? And here is the best part. Here's the best part. All through Old Testament, it is pointing ahead forward to someone who would come in all of those covenants. It is saying there is someone who will eventually fix this and make it right And so if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is the best part. And I want us to look at this passage with fresh eyes now that we know this anticipation and this waiting of who is going to fix this? How is this going to be made right? We can't do this. I can't save myself from my own sin. I can't save myself from the punishment that I deserve. I can't do it. So who is going to come and fix this? And Luke 2, Luke opens up his gospel. It's called Gospel for a Reason. He opens it up in chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So it's opening in this time period. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph, this character we're introduced to, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. And if you remember, David was one of those guys that God made a covenant with back in the Old Testament. So it's It's like, man, there's a lot of things, a lot of pieces in in motion here that have been happening for a long time. He went there, verse 5, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So what seemingly looks like there's just this man, this woman, they're going back to this town and this baby is born. Like, babies are born every day. Woohoo. Right? Like, there's babies born all the time. But no, this one is different. Verse 8. Here is where I want us to focus in on this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find him, a baby, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Like, think about this scene. You have got hundreds and hundreds of years of God's people, of these people waiting to say, what is going to happen? How do we fix this? Because we've tried this before, and we keep screwing up, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I can't do it by myself. And then all of a sudden, you've got like these three shepherds who are hanging out in a field with their dirty, smelly, gross sheep. All right, And it's quiet, and they're laying there, probably just kicking it back after a hard day's work. You know, I don't know if, how, really what type of work herding sheep is, but I've heard it's difficult because they're stupid. Um, and so... They're just like hanging out, laying down. Like, could you just imagine after a hard day's work, you're laying there and it's like, oh, hey, Fred, that's a pretty tough day. Sheep herding, right? Yeah, George. That's right. It was really tough. I'm really tired. We should probably get to sleep. Yeah, I'd probably be good. Like, out of nowhere, angels appear, and what, what was, it was nighttime, and now it's day, and there's all, like, all of a sudden people show up, and it's just like, da 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 like, blaring trumpets, like, announcing the arrival of the Savior of the entire world, all right? Like, if they didn't have to change their robes, I don't know what was happening here. Because the best part is that it's like, the angels come in, and they're just like, we're here, we're here to sing about Jesus, this guy who just got born. And then, all of a sudden, like, there's, there was nothing happening. I just, I imagine what they were thinking and, and probably the fact they probably had to change their robes or whatever they were wearing because they were just like, <gasps> and the best thing is that the first thing that the angel said is like, do not, do not be afraid. Like, and it's like, well, thanks. All right. Because we were just laying here. You could have like knocked first or been like, hey, guys, we're about here we come. Just be ready. Are you ready now? Okay, now, now, guys, now. <laughs> like, no, it was just like, surprise. Here we are. And I just imagine these shepherds here just like, ah. And it just, it's crazy to me. I, just, I think that the Bible can be really funny like that sometimes. Like, I just imagine these guys sitting there and just, they're just freaking out. Their sheep probably have all run away now because they're terrified. <laughs> right? Like, they've all run away, and they're like, well, well, we did have sheep, but now they're gone. So, but I heard there's a baby somewhere. Like, so... <laughs> Like, all of scripture has been waiting for this moment. All of Israel has been waiting for this moment. And God chooses the very first people that he announces this to, that the savior of the entire world is here to fix everything that was once broken. To these dudes who smell terrible, who are laying around after herding sheep all day. Like, that is awesome. I love that about, about the Bible. I love that. Um, I know you can make sheep sounds, but I don't need any more of those. So, I, I just, like, this just blows my mind. But here's, where I want, here's what I want us to focus in on. Verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. <laughs> yeah, right. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That word, that phrase right there, good news. Good news in scripture, the same word that is used for good news is gospel. So whenever we say, what does the word gospel mean? It means good news. 
But here is, here's like, here's what I, I want to go in a little bit further here. It isn't just like, hey, I heard that your mom made chocolate pie and it's going to be your house later. Woo! Like, that's good news, but it's not like this good news. All right? Hey, I heard that the new uh, Nintendo Switch is coming out and I heard that your mom might get it for you for Christmas. Yeah. Woo! Good news. Like, that's not... This is a little different than that. While that is, yes, that is good news, everybody loves chocolate pie and video games, this is better, okay? So here's the thing. I need you guys to picture with me uh, a time where there were no, no phones. <gasps> what? <laughs> where there was no, there were no phones, there was no nothing, right? There was no technology. What? And so listen, wait, stay with me. Stay with me. The only way that you learned about stuff the only way that you learned about stuff was by a messenger, like, sprinting through town to the main, like, meeting place in the town, telling a couple people there, and being like, hey, here's this announcement. This thing has happened. And then a bunch of people that are there at, like, the, the town center leave and, like, go knock door to door, or, like, other groups of people are gathered, and they're like, hey, somebody just ran and told this guy who told this guy who told this guy to tell me to tell you that there's this really awesome thing happening. Like... And so, good news, that is how these types of things were spread. And it, it, it's, it's totally different from the way that, that we do things now. And so here's the other part of this word, too, this, this word gospel or good news um, that's used in Scripture. So here, listen to this. I don't, know, I don't know, maybe you guys haven't heard this before. The term gospel or good news typically referred um, to some type of military um, battle, or like some like military action. So back in the day, ancient Israel, right? If you were going up against somebody, if like your country was going to war against this other country, it was pretty much whichever country lost became slaves to that country that beat them. Like that's how things typically worked. If you look all the way back um, against, so you know, David and Goliath, Right? The reason that everybody was so terrified of whoever was going to fight Goliath was because when the Philistines were on one side and Israel was on the other, they sent out Goliath, Israel sends out David, and these two guys were fighting for their whole entire country. And so whoever won, whichever guy won, basically represented everyone. And it was like, if Goliath won, then all of Israel had to become slaves to the Philistines. And if David won, which he did, then all of the Philistines had to become slaves to the nation of Israel. Like, and so you think about it, and it's like, okay, you send your best guy, and I send my best guy, and they'll fight for us, so that way you know, only maybe one guy dies, and then you come be our slaves. Okay, shake hands. Perfect. Like, that's how things typically worked. But so you have these battles and things like this going on, and the only way that this was reported back to the towns where all of these soldiers and people came out of was by messengers who carried news back to these towns. And so you can imagine, like, sitting there waiting. You know that people have gone off to, to battle, to war against some other country, and you're sitting there in your house just, like, waiting waiting, waiting for somebody to come back and tell you, hey, we won, or uh, get your things together, and we're going to probably be washing some feet for a while. <laughs> like, get it together. So back in the day, this, it's, like, it's nerve-wracking. So I, the only thing that I could think of to try to help you guys understand this um, is how many of you remember when the Cavs won the championship? How many of you remember? Yes. 
everybody remembers, all right? Here's the thing. If there was no TV, no phones, no nothing, like no way of calling someone being like, hey, guess what just happened? Like the news of Cleveland winning game seven, like if we knew it's tied 3-3, we don't know what's gonna happen, what's, like, and you're just sitting in your house, just like looking at the wall being like, hope somebody's gonna come and tell me what happens. Like there's, you're sitting there waiting and the word has to travel from Cleveland like some guy or a couple people from that place would run out of the queue to houses nearby and be like, we did it, we won! And, like, and there would just be this like celebration and like, yeah, we did it! And then somebody who was in that celebration would then run further south and be like, you guys, you never guess what happened, we won! And they'd be like, yeah! And the same thing would happen over and over and over again until enough people had run further south along, along Route 8 to get to us down here in green on the 77, and they were sprinting and running and knocking on door to door and being like, guess what, we won! And everybody was like, yeah! And it'd probably be like two weeks after the game ended, um, but we'd be excited, because we would have been waiting that whole time, being like, what's gonna happen? And there's just this anticipation and waiting. And so what the word was called whenever a military achieved victory and were freed from potential slavery to another group of people, they would say, you, the messenger, whoever you are, take the gospel, take the good news, and run over there and tell everybody about it. Because the gospel isn't just like, hey, this is a great thing that happened. The gospel meant they were free from slavery. They were free from potentially having to serve these other people. That means that their side won, that there was victory, that it was over and it was done. That's what the gospel meant. Back in ancient, ancient times, it was like the gospel is this military word of, hey, send the gospel to all the towns because we've won and it's over. And so... Here's where I just, I just love, I love scripture here. John um, 8, John 8, 33 through 36. So Jesus is going around and he's teaching and he's talking to all, all these people. And so he's talking with the Pharisees. And they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So Jesus is teaching them and talking about this freedom from sin and slavery. And so people who were Israelites at this point were even, they were just like, what do you mean? Like, we're of Abraham. Like, we've already been promised all these things. What does it mean? We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? What do you mean by this? Jesus answers him. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what he's saying. Is that whenever people become slaves, like there's, there's potentially, back in, back in those days, there's potentially an end to that. But when it was over, they went back to wherever they, where they came from before. But if they were adopted... If they became son, like slaves, those, they will eventually leave and go away. But sons, children of the master, 
remain forever. And so we have seen all through Scripture that we, us, even here now today, we have this same thing with us, that we are slaves to sin, that we're slaves to the sin that controls us, the things that we're like, I know I shouldn't do that, or I know this is wrong. Like, we are slaves to that sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so even Romans, um, yeah, sorry, we're going to, we'll go Romans 8 first. Romans 8. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and go to Romans 8, 12. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. We've heard that many times before already today. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In verse 17, And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so what Scripture is saying here is that it's through Jesus that we have the opportunity to go from slaves to sin to being sons and daughters of God. Like, do you guys understand that? That we have this opportunity to go from death to life. That because Jesus came, he was announced as the Son of God. He was fully man and he was fully God. He lived a perfect life and he was sacrificed in order to pay for the sin that you and I have committed, will commit currently. Like all sin, paid for, done over all of these things throughout the Old Testament where they had covenant after covenant and said, we're trying to fix this. We're trying to make this right. We want, we want to be back to how things were before. And the thing that's plaguing us, the thing that is killing us is the sin that lives inside of us from the moment that we're born that we can't do anything about, that we can't fix ourselves. And the only possible person to do that is Jesus. He's the only one who could possibly do that? And so Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Basically saying, if you believe Jesus is who he says that he is, because Jesus came and made a lot of claims about himself, saying that he was the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, the life, the bread of life. He is the living water. All of these things that he says that he is, basically all summed up into this, that if, if you believe that he is who he says he was, and if you believe that God raised him from the dead in order that you could be saved, because you can't do it by yourself, that's all that it is. Like, if you believe this, man, you will be saved. Like, that's, that's the gospel. 
that you move from I'm a slave to this sin and the good news is that there is somebody who has come who has fought on your behalf who has achieved victory and who has released you from the bondage of sin and like that's crazy to think that somebody else went and did that for you and the way that they had to do that was by giving up their own life even after they had done nothing wrong and that person's name was Jesus and I just like that just blows my mind Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He doesn't say, hey, make sure that you get this right. Make sure that you clean this up first. Make sure that those things that you know that you shouldn't be doing, yeah, you've got to stop that before you can even walk in here and call on me. That's not what he says. He says, hey, this stuff that you're living under, this sin, this bondage and slavery that you're dealing with, I want to rescue you from that. And then we can go from there. He offers this gift to everyone. And it, I just like, I think about myself and the way that I don't deserve this and the way that God has just granted me mercy and grace and forgiveness. And I... I the only response is then to do the other things that Jesus calls us to, which is to carry our cross daily and follow him. Because I, I think that growing up, I know for me, the idea of, of being saved and salvation and the gospel, it was a lot of just like, hey, you've heard about this hell place? It sounds really bad. And you don't want to go there. So you should accept Jesus. Rather than, hey, Jesus Regardless of, of this punishment, like this is real and bad. Like hell is a real place and there's real punishment for those who stay slaves to sin. But I've offered you this chance, not at just a get out of hell free card, but I've offered you a chance for life and life to the full. Like life the way that I had originally intended it from the very beginning in the garden where you live in relationship with me and you love me and I love you and it's just, it's so much better than anything that we could ever come up with here on the earth. Like on our own, as, as mankind, it's so much better than anything that we could ever try to manufacture here ourselves. It's so much better. And so here's where I, here's where I want us to kind of close John 1 says this. He's talking about Jesus here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. He is there. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He is there. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So we skip down to verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, it's talking about Jesus again, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
There's nothing that we can do to possibly earn sonship or to be called daughters of God on our own. It's not possible. But because Jesus has come and he's won the victory for you and for me, he offers us not just life, but life to the full. He offers us a chance to get back what was lost in the garden. That relationship with him. And he says, if you listen to me, if you do what I say, you'll bring my kingdom here on the earth. You, in loving your neighbor, in loving your friends, in in obeying your parents, in doing these things, bring about what I had originally intended to happen. And it's like in in us being light in dark places, because of what Jesus has done for us, we begin to undo the darkness that lives all around us. Because it's not just, hey, you're saved, congratulations. It's now that you've celebrated, you take this good news, this gospel, this message of victory and freedom and you run to as many houses as you can and you knock on all those doors and you take as, like you, you tell as many people as you can because this is important. And there are people who don't even know that they need this until you tell them. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is freedom from sin and death and this whole story that we've looked at of scripture of waiting for who would come and fix this. The answer is Jesus. He came, lived, died, and rescued. So I'm going to have Marissa come up. And, and as, as she comes up um, and as we get ready to close, I just I want to ask a couple questions. And the first one is, the first one is, do you find yourself on the side of victory? Would you say you yourself I believe in who Jesus says that he is. I believe that Jesus came, and I know that he is the Son of God. I know that he came to rescue me because I can't do it myself. And so for you to ask yourself that question, have I, have I done this? Do I believe? I think if, if that's you and you're like, I don't, I don't know. Man, I hope that question haunts you until you find an answer. Like, I hope that that's a question that you ask yourself when you get out of bed and when you get back into bed at the end of the day to say, even though all this other stuff is happening, have I been rescued? Have I been saved? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like, if that's not you, man, I would love, I would love to talk to you about that. Your parents would probably love to talk to you about that. Any leader in here would love to talk to you about that. Because it's not just, man, I, you know, I, I just want to be saved. I, I've heard about the gospel and all these things, and I, I heard it's just like, this is just something nice to have. Because when we're rescued, whenever we hear that good news, that, that good news of, of rescue, there is a natural response, and it's cheering and, like, yelling and joy. Like, so even, even back to the Cavs game seven. Whenever the shot went in, whenever we knew that we had won, there was nobody who put on the teleprompter, everybody cheer. Like, it was a natural reaction to this longing and this waiting of, we want this to happen, we want, we want this. And when it finally happened, like, 
the whole, like, people were coming out of their houses. Like, I left the house that I was at, and there were people out in the street, like, honking their horns, yelling, cheering. Like, it was, it was nuts. Everybody was going crazy. There was no, like, hey, make sure that if this happens, you guys, we can cheer. Yay. It was just a natural response to what had happened. And I think when we understand the gravity and the, and the depth of our own sin and the fact that we need rescued, when we find out that there is an answer and that there is a Savior and somebody who has come to rescue us, man, our, our only response is, holy cow, that's awesome. And so I'm, I'm, just, I'm so excited that this is offered not just to me but to all of you. And if you want to talk about that, if you're like, that's me, man, I would love for you to come and talk to me. Talk to a leader that's around you. Talk to a friend who you maybe know has already done this or, or they're in. They say, I believe and I have been saved. Make sure that's you. If you have questions about that, please talk to someone. We're here for you. We want to talk about it. And so for those of us here who have done that, you know, man, I'm in. I know that Jesus has rescued me. And I know that even though he has, I haven't lived a perfect life. I haven't like, but man, I want to know him more every day. And I just want to look like him. So that way I can tell the gospel. I can be a, a messenger of good news to others around me. Then the songs that we're about to sing should be in celebration of what he's done. To say, yes, he shows me mercy. Yes, he has rescued me. And man, do I ever need him. I need him. So would you guys, you guys go ahead and stand with me and we're going to sing together. And we're just going to respond to the gospel this morning.